Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence. Thanks so much for hanging out. Being a part of today's episode. I'm really excited about today's guest. And before I get to the interview, which is terrific, I want to thank Mark Grody because this all happened because Grody and I were having a conversation on the air. And I, I, I don't even remember how Swika came up. But we were like, yeah, she's pretty great. And they're like, yeah, we should talk to her. And then I was like, I should have her on House of L. Because her story's pretty amazing. Northwestern grad. Walked out of Evanston right into a job at the score. Very much a, a pioneering figure in sports reporting in Chicago in the 90s and early 2000s. And then she walks away and completely goes in a different direction. I'll leave it up to you listening to the interview to hear the direction that she went in. But I can tell you, it's delicious. And it was fun to just catch up. You know, we talk occasionally on Facebook, but I'm one of the people that used to produce Julie's show. When I was first starting out as a producer, Julie would have a weekend show. She'd have, I think she took over the Sunday morning show when Dan got promoted to full-time. She would do evenings, and I would produce her show sometimes in the evenings when I was a part-time producer. She's great at the update desk, a fantastic reporter who helped me a ton when I started reporting. Just kind of learning the ropes, introducing me to people, that sort of thing. Which is what you should do. Like that you should try to help people along if you can. But she didn't have to. And she did. And it was great. We also, the two of us, bond over White Sox stuff. She's one of the most passionate White Sox fans that there is. And you'll hear it. Like, we talk about it in here, and you'll hear her, like, passion for the team and and how that's never really gone away, which is great. It's wonderful to see. I tell you, I struggle with, I mean, the, the Bears thing for me is completely gone. Like, growing up as a kid, the Bears were my favorite thing. And I think that when you try to report on, when you're ensconced on a beat, 
especially one as tough and competitive as that beat was when I was reporting. I mean, you had, you know, Big Z's been there for 20 years now, and John Moon Mullen and Jeff Dickerson, you know, Jeff Dickerson and I, like, we, good friends, but we would also, you know, we, we, we competed. Let's put it that way. Zach's on the beat. Like, there are a lot of, lot of really good reporters on the beat back then. And so you end up having to look at things clinically. And I've lost all of that stuff. Like, knowing how the sausage is made covering the Bears, like, I've completely lost all of it. I'm still, I can still get emotional about the White Sox. I still can get emotional about the Bulls because even though I've covered locker rooms, I wasn't covering the team. It's different. But I'm happy that Julie still has this type of joy. And being away from it, I mean, she's, it's a whole, when I tell you that the path that she's on now is completely different than the path that she was on. You will understand when when you listen. But I love that she'll every now and again, like, send me a note. Like, hey, this was a really good topic that you did. Or I'm, I didn't think about it that way. And and it's it's helpful because I know that she knows what she's talking about. And, and sometimes, like, you're looking, you're looking for affirmation. Sometimes you're looking for constructive criticism from people who know. But I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk because she's just pleasant. On top of everything else, she's pleasant to talk to. Like, a lot of fun. So there's a lot of laughs in here. We have a good time. There's a lot of bonding. You'll hear it in here. And I think that if she wants to if she wants to marry what she did before to what she's doing now, I think there are avenues to do it. And you'll hear inside here that my mind is already starting to spin on how I might be able to facilitate some of this stuff. So enjoy. Julie Swika is fantastic. She was so great. And I think that you are going to love this interview with her. This is me and Julie Swika talking about all sorts of stuff on the House of L podcast. I, I know that you're probably exhausted, so I'm going to try not to take all of your time in talking to you. But Are they- you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Talk as long as you want. I will talk about, like, colors of the rainbow, whatever you want. I am here, and I am so excited to talk to you. So my time is your time. All right. Well, thank you. I, I was thinking one of the reasons, like, you came up in conversation on the air, and we were talking. I forget what we were talking about, but you came up in conversation on the air, and I was like, man – I need to have Jules on the podcast. And I was thinking about you even before that because you're one of the first people that I encountered in sports radio that was ahead of the game when it came to fantasy. You were talking about your rotisserie team, your roto team, like all the time. (laughs) And this was in the 90s. You you were talking about this. And I wonder what you think about the explosion of then fantasy sports and now where we are with gambling. 
Oh my gosh, that's a great link. Um, what's really funny is I always loved the rotisserie baseball. I love drafting the teams. It's hard because you have to look and see, you know, starting pitchers every day and all that. But where I really got my butt kicked was um, with fantasy football years ago. There was a week where like the Bears division had a buy or the Bears had a buy and the rest of their division didn't or vice versa. Whatever it was, I didn't make the right adjustments based on the bye week and I got clobbered. And after that, I'm like, I need to take time off from this fantasy football stuff. But I'm actually back into it now and so addicted to it. It's unbelievable how I spend my Sundays, like, looking to see who I'm getting points from and how the rest of the league is doing. And um, I have totally become, like, a follower of anybody who's on the score or on Twitter or anybody who can offer me suggestions on a sleeper, even though everyone else is hearing the same suggestions. But I'm, I really, I wish I were better at the gambling side of it because that is such a big part of sports nowadays because that's why sports are so popular because people are, you know, watching to see, um, you know, if their prop bets coming through or if this team's covering or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I wish I were better at that side of it. And um, working at the score for so many years, I learned a lot about gambling not necessarily from my personal experiences, but from everybody else's. <laughs> but I really, um, I, I really felt so green. I felt like I didn't understand, like, you know, what it, you know, what does plus one forty mean, and what does this mean, and you know, I, I had to learn stuff like that. And uh, it is such a big deal now. I was even thinking, I, I had caught you earlier today. You had made a comment. I think it was you had made a comment about um, the prop bet for tonight. Yes. Um, receivers against the bears and i thought oh, i thought that yesterday when i heard the whole secondary was out i thought if i were a gambling girl i would look for a prop bet on this because jefferson's gonna go to town i was worried when you left the score that you would leave sports behind and it kind of no. made me well right like it made me sad because i know how much like you love sports, so I'm glad that it didn't have that effect on you. What was really sad is it was my dream to cover a White Sox World Series. And if I had just hung with it a little bit longer, I could have gotten to see that happen. Um, and Chris Ranji did such a great job as a Sox pre- and post-game host. I just kept thinking, like, oh, I wish I had stuck it around and I maybe I could have gotten that gig. I would have loved to have done it. So, you know, that first uh, Christmas after the White Sox won the World Series, people were giving me World Series DVDs and I couldn't watch them. I had a really hard time with it because I felt like, you know, I put in all the grunt work covering bad teams and then when there was a good team, I missed it. So, um, you know, that, that took a little while to reconcile. But, you know, whenever people say like, oh, you left sports, you don't like sports anymore. I'm like, no, I will always love sports. I will always be, you know, watching baseball games. I'm one of those people, you know, when people say, like, baseball is so boring, I can watch, like, the two worst teams in baseball in a meaningless spring training game because it's baseball, because I can sit there and watch baseball, like, of any sort. Um, and I know you being a baseball guy at heart and going back to your catcher's days and everything – I know it's, it's in your blood. You see baseball and like something clicks for you. Um, you know, there are sports I don't watch as much as I used to. And that makes me a little sad just because I, I, I don't follow certain things as much as I wish I did. But I, to me, the NFL was my first love. I watched it with my dad when I was a kid. I will still watch the bears 
even when they're bad. Um, you know, like I said, I love baseball. I, I don't think I could ever get sports out of my blood. What's the one thing that you wish someone would have told you when you were pioneering the, the sports radio oh. business? Oh, my gosh. There's so much I wish people had told me. Um, and I think one of the hardest things is being so young. I, the score was my first full-time job after I graduated Northwestern. And I was green. I mean, I, I hadn't been in locker rooms before. I mean, when you cover college sports, they bring the players out to you. And all of a sudden, I'm 22 years old, and I've got to go into a hockey locker room or a baseball locker room and talk to people I don't know. And, um, you know, it was very um, sobering. It, it really woke me up quickly to, boy, I, there's no learning curve. There's no chance to ease into this. You just got to jump off the deep end of the pool. Um, but I think if I knew then what I know now, being thicker skinned would be a big part of it. Like just with, with age and maturity and wisdom, you learn not to take things so personally, not to react so emotionally. And I, I wish 20 something Julie knew that back then that, you know, you got to kind of shrug things off. Sometimes you got to not let it get to you. I still take things personally. I mean, somebody doesn't like a dessert I made and that's my heart on a plate. And I <laughs> want to cry. Um, <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's you know, nothing about me will ever change in that. I even had a chef in cooking school who said, boy, you wear your heart on your sleeve. I said, yeah, I'm not going to apologize for it. That's, that's who I am. But I, I think I've become so much more feisty, if that even makes sense. I mean, you'd think being a female and one of the few females in sports radio back then that I would have, you know, been tough as nails to begin with. But I feel like now I'm just more take no BS kind of gal. And I wish I had more of that in me back then. What was your favorite moment inside a clubhouse, inside a locker room, on the field, pre or post game? Oh, my gosh. See, now that, that's a tough one to narrow down because I loved reporting. I really did. I loved being out in the field. I loved that time before the game where you could just sit in the dugout. I still remember one day I was sitting in the dugout at Wrigley before a game and John Lieber and Kevin Tappany were sitting there with me and they're just showing me grips and talking pitching and just like shooting the breeze. It wasn't anything I was going to run to air with or anything like that. It was just so cool to be sitting there soaking that up and learning that type of stuff. I love talking to the baseball scouts in the press box before a game. I loved just being in that atmosphere and, and absorbing. I loved going to Platteville and learning from John Moon Mullen, things about like offensive line techniques and stuff like that. I'd be sitting there watching and taking notes and, and I just wanted to soak it all up like a sponge. I really, I loved that experience. I loved, um, you know, being around people and getting to know them. I still remember Mike Devereaux when he played for the White Sox, Devo. I would sit next to him at his locker and like help him open his fan mail. Like I didn't, I didn't care. I just, you know, I enjoyed talking to people and, you know, I, I wasn't looking for a story at the time or anything. I was just, Hey, you know, this is cool. I'm seeing who's writing new letters and this is kind of neat. So those moments, I, I never took those for granted. I really appreciated them. I loved talking to the managers in the dugout before the game. Um, even when I was still doing some freelance stuff and I was back at the ballpark, I remember Dusty Baker asking me how the cooking business was going and looking at the scars from the ovens on my arm. 
like stuff like that. I, I just enjoyed that real time. And, you know, there were the days you're at the United Center and you're watching Michael Jordan and pinching yourself thinking, I am watching the greatest player in the game and getting paid to do it. Like stuff like that never got old. But it, it was those genuine moments of just getting to know people and relate to people. Um, I, I, I mean, if I had to pick out one, I, I wouldn't be able to pick it, narrow it down to a thousand. But like little things come to my head. Do you remember the 2000 White Sox? Yes. That made the playoffs and they had like Frank Thomas and James Baldwin and um, Bill Seamus. Like they were just a fun bunch of players. And I remember being in a post game and Jerry Manuel walks in and Jerry was a trip. And Jerry walks in and he's muttering. And I'm like, what is he muttering? Jerry Manuel is muttering, who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? And his Jerry Manuel like, drop. <laughs> What? Nobody had any idea what he's talking about. I was like, is he losing it? Is he going crazy? And we walk into the locker room and Baja Boys, Baja Boys, Baja Men, whatever their group was, the song Who Let the Dogs Out is blaring in the locker room. And this is before it like became mainstream radio song. And that's what Jerry Manuel was repeating. He's mumbling Who Let the Dogs Out in his posting press conference because they'd all been playing it in the locker room. That so, is I mean, outstanding. Like that. There was one day for a pregame batting practice with that team when all the players were taking the field. Frank Thomas came out in a big James Baldwin afro. And it was hilarious because James Baldwin had the crazy curly afro hair. And Frank Thomas came out wearing a wig to look like James Baldwin. And I mean, little stuff like that where there was never really anywhere to report that. I wasn't going to do a Fox hit and say, Oh, guess what happened at batting practice today? Why we just file it away like, boy, that shows you this team is close or something like that. Those little things that illustrated, you know, kind of the the inside to the game and not just what you see on the field. I think I kind of know. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe not. Okay, I'll just ask the question: Who was okay. your, who were some of your favorite players to talk to, and why? Oh, gosh, that's so good. Your questions are great, Lawrence. You should do this for a living. I know, right? Um, <laughs> um, again, I, I think a lot of the baseball players were my favorites because I spent more time around them because you could get to know them better. Um, you know, but I always appreciated the guys who just would shoot the breeze, who were funny. You know, it's not like I was going to get to know Michael Jordan. I, I didn't have access to Michael Jordan to sit and ask him, like, hey, what'd you have for lunch today or something like that. But when you had all this time around baseball guys in the dugout, in the locker room, you, know, you could get to know them better. You could get to know Maglio Ordonius's kids or, um, I mean, gosh, there were, there were so many guys on both sides of town that were just legit funny. And I appreciated that as much as anything. And a lot of the, um, the role player guys, the, the bullpen guys, the specialty guys, the bench players, those were the guys that I really appreciated because they had all the time in the world to talk to you. You know, you're, you might not get an interview with Sammy Sosa, but you could sit and talk to, you know, a utility infielder who probably had some pretty good stories. You know, guys like Mickey Morandini were hilarious. Um, I loved Tony Graffinino when he was with the Sox. Just so many good guys that had good hearts and were fun to be around. Um, Bill Wennington, Steve Kerr, guys when I covered the Bulls who always had time for you. You know, those were the guys I got to know really well, and um, and I appreciated that a lot. I honestly, I, I can't even tell you how many, 
like I said, those little funny moments where people might not, um, you know, might not see that side of somebody, even the visiting players. There were so many visiting baseball players that I talked to every time they came through town that were just like genuinely some of the greatest guys I met in sports. Mike Sweeney with the Kansas City Royals, uh, Sean Casey with the Reds. These guys were just like good guys. I remember Mike Sweeney being very spiritual. Like he very, definitely you know, was. God yes. And, and so and we would talk about our faith and our spirituality and about Christian music that we liked. And one day he came into town with the Royals and he came up to me and he said, how's your heart? And I, I thought he was asking me like, if I had a heart condition, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm young, I'm healthy. I'm good. Thanks for asking. And then I realized he meant like spiritually, how is your heart? And I thought, that's just so cool. Like that, you know, this big star baseball player is asking me how I'm doing spiritually. And like, you know, he or um, Sean Casey or Tony Graffinino, guys that I shared similar faith stories with, we would trade CDs. Like Tony Graffinino and I would, you know, trade Creed CDs or something like that. And just, you know, to get to know those guys as people and not just baseball players, I, I honestly, that was my favorite part of being a reporter was that getting to know people. And um, I think that's part of what made me good at my job. I thought for sure, I'm glad I didn't lead you into it, because I, <laughs> I thought for sure the name that you were going to pull was Paul Konerko. I love Pauly. I, uh, I can't say enough good things about him, but if I had to pick a favorite Sox player of all time, it was Burley. I mean, he is still my favorite of all time. And the funny thing was, Burley's family was always around the team, and they were so um, down to earth. I mean, just like Burley is. And so mom and dad would be there. Grandma would be there. I'd always be looking in the stands for Grandma Burley because she'd be sitting in the family section with her little headphones on listening to the radio broadcast. But, I mean, they, the whole family would come to games. And Burley's dad one day had his shoulder separated. And I, you know, I'm asking him, like, oh, what happened? And, and he's totally deferring, like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it, trying to be all tough guy. And Burley tells me his dad fell off his tractor. <laughs> Well, and yeah, because obviously. I, all right, it's just a, a Burley family kind of story. Um, but, I mean, I, Burley was just so down to earth, and I got to know him when he first came up and he was pitching out of the bullpen and just thinking, like, yeah, this guy's got something. This this guy's a lefty who's crafty, and he's going to be really good. And uh, he, I think it was just the likability factor of him being so – just young and un, um, unassuming, unaffected. And what was really funny is he was good friends with John Garland and they seemed so unlikely together because Garland was Mr. Like laid back California, cool surfer dude. And then you had Burley who's Mr. Like Midwest. I have a farm and I go hunting, but you'd see him hanging out together and this weird couple just clicked. They were just like, you know, the odd couple in the locker room. There were so many good guys in baseball to cover. Like I said, a lot of pitchers that I just absorbed stuff from. I loved hearing about, like, um, techniques for how they rehab. I still remember Jim Bullinger, you know, talking about how he was rehabbing an arm injury. Or, like I said, the guys like Tappany and Lieber who would sit there and show me pitch grips. Um, I still remember one of the scouts in the, the um, media, in the press box, telling me about pitches John Garland threw. And this is a baseball scout who was very well-respected, worked for the Cubs, worked for the Twins, very well-respected scout. And he's telling me, yeah, you know, Garland's got this knuckle curve he's throwing right now, and, it, you know, he's throwing it really well. So I asked Garland about it, and he's like, 
I don't throw that. I don't throw a knuckle curve. And I'm like, yeah, you do. No, I don't. I just thought, it's okay. Nothing is going to happen by telling Julie Swika of the score you throw a knuckle curve. <laughs> no, like, here's this baseball scout who's telling me what you throw and you won't admit it. And I've seen John Garland a couple of times since at various um, charity softball games and things like that. And I always want to ask him about it, but, you know, I don't want to dredge that up. It was, you know, and I felt really stupid that day. I was like, oh, I can't believe he's you know, calling me out in front of everyone that I don't know what he throws. But I did know what he threw, and he just, you know, got to be all secretive and everything. He's out, out um, there being have, weird. Exactly. Pitchers, all weird. Um, and I have to tell you, just uh, I'm, I'm sure this does not paint me in a good light at all, but because it's a funny story, I'm going to share it. Um, my stepson played baseball for a long time, and he was playing one day in a tournament where word traveled that Kerry Wood was coaching his son's team in the same tournament. They were in a different age bracket, but, you know, that Kerry Wood was there coaching. And so and I told my husband, I'm going to go say hi to Kerry Wood. Is he going to remember you? I'm like, yeah, he'll remember me. So I go over and, you know, I, I'm sitting in the stands waiting for Carrie's son's game to end. And when it ends, I wave and he starts walking over. And, you know, I say hi to him and we're catching up. And I'm telling him like, hey, you know, my stepson's team just finished playing. Can I introduce you to him? And he's like, sure. So he starts walking with me to go meet my stepson and my stepson's teammates, which is going to be such a huge thrill to them. And I tripped over a sprinkler head. <laughs> Oh, and I no. out hard. I hit the ground hard. And here I am, like, trying to look all smooth and cool. Like, hey, I know Carrie Wood. I'm going to bring him over to meet the baseball team. And, and I, I just oh. face plant it. <laughs> Who put that sprinkler head there? Stupid um, sprinkler head. <laughs> Why does the grass need to be watered? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I, I shrugged it off. I'm like, whatever, you know. Carrie Wood's not going to remember 20 years from now that I tripped over a sprinkler hat. I will, but he won't. Um, and it just made those kids day that Carrie Wood came over and signed baseballs for them and took pictures with them and, you know, just uh, took an interest in like, hey, how'd you guys do today? How was your game? Stuff like that. So, um, yeah, anytime I've run across guys I covered, I've run across a few at uh, sporting conventions. I've run across guys at um, charity events. And I'm always just so happy to catch up with them and see how they're doing and hear how their families are and just, you know, take a trip down memory lane for a few minutes. Well, well see, the reason I thought you were going to say Polly, and now that I think about it, like he wasn't fully formed Polly by the time that you mm -hmm. left reporting. And mm -hmm. at, at the end of his career, he was my favorite guy to go talk to because every word, like he meant what he said, he would legitimately mm -hmm. think about what question you asked him and then give you an answer. So, a Paul, like, he wouldn't talk every day, but every couple of days, Paul Konerko would talk, and when you got him, mm -hmm. it was 30 minutes. Like, it was, it was him talking yes. about hitting or pitching or the dynamics of the team or whatever it was, and I found him to be fascinating as someone to go and talk to you inside the clubhouse. You know what? I can see that. I can see that evolution. And I think you're right. I think I missed some of the um, more refined moments toward the end of it. But he was always so thoughtful to talk to. And you're right. He had a purpose. When he opened his mouth, whatever he was going to say was going to be like very well thought out and well articulated. Um, so I, I would agree with you. I, I did like covering Polly. I, I really didn't have many 
local baseball players I didn't like covering. The Cubs and the Sox were mostly pretty good to me. Um, yeah, some of the visitors, not always, but, uh, but for the most part, the local guys were great. Um, I'm going to turn the tables on you and ask you, because you're around the current Sox team, who your favorite guy is on this current team. My favorite guy is, is Tim Anderson. I mean, it's I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm amazed by him. And I remember talking with him after he got drafted at Sox Fest. And I remember walking away going, man, this this kid is cocky. <laughs> like I'm like, he is, <laughs> he is he is very confident in his skills and he's laid back. And I got a chance to do some stuff with him with the White Sox uh, through 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 their their youth baseball program. And it was mm-hmm. amazing. Like it was amazing. He was like the the keynote speaker at this. And I I went and I talked with him. And he he kind of grabbed me and he said, "Listen," because we were doing like a Q and A in front of everybody. And he said, "This mm-hmm. is he's like this is not really my thing." He's like, "I need you to, you know, walk me through all of this." And I was like, mm-hmm. "The the kid that I thought was cocky has at, really wanted to come off well in this moment." So we talked mm-hmm. and we like hit it off and. I he, the way that he represents not just the White Sox but the black community and the South Side of Chicago. Yes. Is yep. amazing. Like he is ex- exactly what you draw up. Like a fun, exciting mm-hmm. player that believes in stuff and cares about things and he, his home is here. Like he's yeah. He's not one of the people that that goes to California or Arizona or even back to Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. He lives here in the off season, and yeah. I I think it's awesome. I I find him to be such an interesting guy, and I think that he's coming to his own as a leader. and And that's not mm-hmm. that's that wasn't an easy thing for him to do because for a long time he was the young guy. And even you know mm-hmm. what, Jules, the the part that made me really smile was. This year, Billy Hamilton talking about Tim Anderson being a mentor for him, even mm-hmm. though Billy is, I think, six or seven years older <laughs> yeah. than Tim. And he, he said that part of the reason that he's had success or he had offensive success this season was because Tim Anderson told him, you don't have to be what you've always been. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to just be a defensive replacement and a guy who comes in and pinch runs. If you want to get better, mm-hmm. there are ways to get better. And that's the type of leadership that I know I respond to. And seeing him grow into that has been amazing. I, I appreciate every single thing you said because what I've observed from afar is exactly what you're saying and sharing right now. Just that leadership, that maturity, um, you know, when people talked about him being cocky with bat flips and stuff like that, I loved it. I'm like, yeah, tell me how you're going to change the game. Own this. You could own this city. You could make your stamp on baseball and make, you know, the national media sit up and take notice. And I thought that Field of Dreams game, that fitting ending for Tim Anderson was just goosebumps upon goosebumps. I I actually have a picture um there was a reporter I had seen on Twitter who had some great shots from the game. Darren Georgia. And I reached out to her. What's that? Oh, I thought it was Darren Georgia. No, no. Um, I wish I could think of her name, but she was an Iowa photographer. And she had a great shot of all the guys waiting at home plate. And 
I asked her, you know, is there any way I could pay for the shot? And she's like, oh, no, I'll just, you know, send it to your local Walgreens and you could just, you know, pay for the print or whatever. And so I went and I got it. And I'm absolutely in love with this home plate picture. But I was also supposed to get from her and I never did. And I keep meaning to follow up with her so I can get it all framed together was she had the shot of Tim Anderson rounding third base mm-hmm. where like, it's just, it's all about to explode at home plate and the, the joy on Tim Anderson's face, the hell yeah look on his face. I wanted to like, you know, mat it all together and frame it and hang it in the sports basement. Like that to me was just like the season in a nutshell of how much I love this team and seeing them wait to celebrate together and seeing their leader be the guy who got that win in the cornfield. Like that to me was just one of the best moments of the season. I agree. I, I think that, and not just the White Sox season, I think that was one of the best moments of the major league season. Yes. And we're biased a little, but you know, <laughs> I mean, it was magic. That was what other teams who were going to play in that game hope to have. Yes. A walk-off hitting the, hitting the home run in the cornfield. And tell me you did not totally get choked up when they all walked out of the corn. The the cornfield thing to me wasn't that big. Of, I got more choked up when he was rounding third. Like, that moment that you're talking about, like, it just mm-hmm. – it felt like everything kind of came together in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that game, if you, you remember, it was bananas. It was like they had control yes. of the game and they lost control of the game and then – then. Yes. You know, John Carlos Stanton's hitting balls to to Nebraska <laughs> and stuff, and, yeah. and 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 you're like, oh man, they're gonna lose this game. And then there comes <laughs> Timmy to 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 put it all together for us, and it was such a. I remember how quickly like it went viral, and and that was one yes. of the things I thought was so cool about it for baseball because baseball doesn't have those type of moments until we get to October. Like, it's not yes. that. And last season, we had all the crazy, like, Shohei Otani stuff. And then this. Like, here's the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Here's the Field of Dreams game. Here's Tim Anderson putting the world on notice. Here we come. I loved yeah. that. I did, too. And like I said, I, I totally agree with your sentiment on him just representing, just, you know, living here and contributing here and mentoring here and, and just growing the community. I honestly am so proud to say he plays for my team, that this is a guy who gets it. Um, And I I think there's a lot of that. I love following athletes on Twitter, especially the ones who are actually on there. It's not like they're PR guys putting something out. The guys who actually do tweet stuff. And he's a good follow. He'll he'll tweet some really deep stuff that I enjoy following. Um, And, you know, I I love when his wife posts pictures of the family because I think his kids are just gorgeous. I, I really do enjoy, um, you know, some of the Sox wives. If you ever follow Ashley Rodon during Game Carlos is pitching, she's freaking hilarious. Yeah, I've she's seen calling some. Out the umps. Yes. <laughs> she's just like him. <laughs> yes. Yes. But she's such a trip. I mean, you know, she'll, she'll post the, the little K zone and she'll be like, yeah, that was really a ball or whatever. And, and like, she's just, you know, kind of snarky, but you can tell she's just stand up for her guy, but she knows baseball. You know, she's not some little fluff trophy wife kind of thing. I mean, she is a baseball woman. And um, like I said, I enjoy following those on Twitter. I, I kind of wonder what the score would have been like if I had had Twitter and the text line and everything when I was there, because I really would have enjoyed the engagement 
I would have liked being able to talk to the fans with the immediacy instead of just waiting for a fax to come across. Oh, my God. This, the Barrett score fax machine. <laughs> Lawrence, I was at the update desk the day uh, Michael Jordan sent out the I'm back fax. Were you and really? Like, yes, I was. Yes. I was sitting there at George Hoffman's update desk waiting for the fax to come across. <laughs> and I mean, I don't, I'm, I, knowing that I'm such a pack rat, I probably still have it somewhere in my sports files. I probably still have the fax somewhere. You but got, I mean, you got, Jules, just, you got to find that. Oh, if I could find that, I would, I don't even think I'd want to sell it. I'd frame it. Yes. I would, I would, yeah, that would be a keeper. Cause I, I really am a sports pack rat. And every time I have to pack to move, I'm like, well, why am I keeping this? But like, I have the um, media notes, the game notes from Kerry Woods first start with the Cubs, stuff like that. Or, you know, Mark Pryor's first start with the Cubs, things like that, where I think like, I don't know if this means anything to anyone else, but it means something to me. You know, I like reliving it and, you know, going back and seeing what games I covered and, you know, what was historic about this. I, the thing I really have a hard time with, because I have no avenue to play them anymore, are the mini disc. Yes. Discs, the mini disc machines. I have so many of those labeled like Michael Jordan talking about such and such or Big Ten tournament preview or things like that. I don't know what to do with this stuff. I don't want to throw it away, but it's not like I can just pop it in in my car and listen to it so someday i will be able to go through all that but i i have cassettes that i labeled like dnto which was always jewels for do not tape over and it would be something stupid or funny or, or you know, historic or whatever that i just thought i'm gonna need this someday lawrence i have jerry manuel singing on a cassette somewhere that i just didn't want to tape over because it was funny because jerry manuel was singing during the pregame was he singing who let, the, who let the Dogs Out? <laughs> no, he was singing some, like, R&B song about it's a thin line between love and hate. Yes, that's, that's the name but, of the song. But Jerry could not sing. And he's, like, doing this little screechy voice. And I was like, oh, don't sing anymore. Don't quit your day job. But it was so funny. I feel like I, I played it on the score at some point because it was just Jerry being Jerry. Um, but I do, I have so many like audio files that I don't know what to do with. I actually, um, and I, I know you'll appreciate this cause you're a local guy. Like, you know, like I grew up around here too. Um, do you remember Ricky Bird's song? Yes. The Northwestern basketball coach who, uh, sadly was assassinated was, yes. was gunned down in Evanston. Um, but Ricky was the basketball coach there my senior year. And I loved covering Ricky, Ricky going in the stands and all Ricky was just, just crazy but funny and sweet like he's very misunderstood um but when ricky had his little wander off into the stands i was actually broadcasting that game and i said to my color commentator i think ricky birdsong's in section 108 <laughs> wow and so ricky had this little like leave of absence school imposed leave of absence and you know i had i had left something at the athletic department just saying like hey hope everything's all right thinking of you blah 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 and Ricky called my answering machine and said, Julie is bird. I'm okay. I just want you to know I'm okay. But the, it's bird. I, I can still hear that in my head. I saved that little answering machine cassette, that little micro cassette for years. It was just so funny. And, you know, once he passed away, it, you know, it made it that much more um, special to me. 
that I had like this, this special message he left on my answering machine. But it was just so funny. It was just him reaching out saying like, I'm not the nut job everyone says I am. I just, you know, need some time away. But the, it's bird. Like I can still hear it in my head, you know, 30 years later. It's just crazy. That's awesome. What did, how did you feel watching The Last Dance? Because you covered those guys. Yes. Yes. And um, I actually wanted more. I actually wanted like more interviews and more, more footage and more, like if it had been 20 episodes, I would have been fine with it. Um, you know, I have a hard time deciding like, you know, when Michael's being Michael and when Michael's being Michael, mm-hmm. you know, like when he's real versus like his, his persona, persona that he's presenting to people. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think when Michael's vulnerable, I think it's really cool to be let inside. Um, and I think, again, assuming that's genuine in The Last Dance, you know, I appreciated that part of it. But, you know, there, there were parts of it where I, like I said, I wanted more. I wanted more interviews, more inside, um, little quirky stories and things like that. Like the stories with the uh, security guards gambling in the locker room. I love stuff like that. Because you didn't see that everywhere. You, you know, you saw the, the Michael that you saw after practice or after the game or whatever, but you didn't see the Michael gambling with the security guards. So like, those were the things I, I really enjoyed about it. I knew the stories of, of the games and things like that, but I, I wanted more on what was going on behind the scenes. I always loved hearing the Utah stories because everyone's got so many takes on, you know, the food poisoning and did they poison Michael Jordan? And, you know, was he supposed to eat this pizza or not? Like, like one of my favorite Michael Jordan moments is that game, that game where he's sick as a dog and he sags against Scotty Pippen. And, you know, he's just left everything out on the court. But then when you hear people say like, well, you know, he really wasn't that sick or, you know, when people try and say it's kind of phony, yeah, that ruins it for, me. I don't want to hear that it was phony. I want to believe that, you know, yeah, Michael was sick as a dog, and he dragged himself out there, and he was a hero. But I loved The Last Dance. Like I said, I, I could watch 20 episodes instead of 10. I'm trying to debate on whether I'm going to watch this Tom Brady thing. Cause yes. I, like, I'm I'm stuck, right? I'm, I'm stuck because I'm like, this is clearly propaganda. But so was The Last Dance. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm stuck because it, The Last Dance was done so well. And I know that it's clearly caused some – Hurt feelings like Scotty is clearly lashing out about yes. some of the stuff that went that went down yes. in the last dance. I'm very interested in Tom Brady's career, but I I want to I want to at least feel like there is some pushback to just I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened to the world. Like I found myself going when they were talking about the latest episode and it's about Giselle. I was like, there better be some Bridget Moynihan mentions in yes. this episode. Yes, like he has a child with her. Let's not sweep this under the carpet. Correct. And, and that's all right. So you know what? Maybe I'll try it, and I'll see if it's it's if it's not too bad on the 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 propaganda <laughs> side. But I I feel you. Like I, as someone who grew up here, you know, another thing I was thinking about. You were the first person that told me about Jarrett Payton. You were like, "Look, yes. I know that he plays football, but have you seen this guy play soccer?" And I was like, Doctor. what? Yep. Yep. I always wonder if yeah. he would have just taken the soccer route, like what would have happened? If that maybe he was kind of pressured into taking the football route because of his last name. Yeah. I mean, he might have been better. 
playing soccer. Yeah, you know, and then you know, his dad was sick. His dad passes away. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if if Jarrett's like an like an MLS legend now in yes. in, in the sliding door version of this is. You know, like, yes. is, is, is he, like, a crazy good soccer star? And, you know, to see what he's made of himself, like, you know, I, I feel proud of him. Not that I know him personally. You know, I, I crossed paths with him a couple times at, like, St. Vider events where I'd be speaking at career day, and Jarrett and his buddies would be sitting in the front row and, you know, being teenage boys goofing around while I'm trying to talk or whatever. I remember Jarrett basically telling his buddies, like, knock it off, she's talking. Um, but I, I crossed paths with him at Vider, you know, after I was long graduated and he was still there and just thinking like, Oh, this kid's something special. Like he's got some polish to him. You know, you just think about when kids have to grow up with that kind of environment, Mm -hmm. when you grow up with your dad being so famous and even so publicly sick. And, um, you know, it's so much worse now when kids have to see social media about their dad, or even the whole thing with Matt Nagy's kid in the basketball game. I don't care what you think of him as a coach, but as a dad, like just let him enjoy his kid's game. Let his kid play basketball and not heckle him. And you know, like that, that made me sad. And I think of kids whose parents choose to be athletes, you know, they do have a different life. They do have a, a harder road in some aspects. Um, I love the interview you did recently with um, Minnie Minoso's son, Charlie. Yes. I really enjoyed it. And Thank you. You know, one of the things he kind of alluded to, I think, with his siblings was just what they lost by having a dad who wasn't around as much. You know, that they they still had a good relationship with him, but there was sacrifice. So, you know, I think Jared and Brittany, you know, they certainly had to give up some of their childhood being Walter Payton's kids. Um, But like I said, I'm really proud to see what he's accomplished and... um, now, he's another good follow on Twitter. I always enjoy seeing things he's posting. And when he's asking you, like, you know, what you thought of the first half of the Bears game? I'm like, what did you think, Jared? I really <laughs> want to know what you think. <laughs> did you think this running game sucked? Like, you know, that's the type of stuff I really want to hear. When are the moments? I'm on Twitter. <laughs> when are the moments when you really miss having a microphone available? Oh, my gosh. Um, all the time because I never stop talking. Um, <laughs> I honestly, sometimes it's the fun stories. Sometimes it's like the the really good, quirky, fun stuff I want to talk about. And sometimes it's the really deep stuff. It's the moments where, you know, you want to contribute to something um, that's larger, that's bigger in scope. And I think the last few years just with all sorts of, you know, tension in our country and, um, you know, racial issues being even more forefront than they've been. You know, I think there's just been so many important moments where I wish I had a forum, where I wish I could talk about it. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's complex. I think there are moments, it's the deeper stuff, I think, that I wish I had more of an avenue for. Um, you know, some of the stuff with coaches or, you know, guys who are just, knuckleheads off the field and I just think like oh dude you are you know a public persona and you you have a responsibility to lead people and people look up to you and blah 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 like I kind of would like to flesh out some of those stories a little bit more I think um but you know I also I love what I see so many people bring to the table and what I hear people bring to the table and I can honestly tell you like if you ask any of my coworkers in the kitchen they'll tell you I've I've got 
Odyssey on, you know, quite a bit, and I'm listening to, you know, you or your score colleagues. I'm listening to things because I want to hear everybody's take on it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm wondering, like, oh, what are they going to say about this? What is so, you know, it's something really like, um, you know, a, a social hot topic. I want to know what is Dan Bernstein thinking about this right now. Like, I, I do tune in because I want to hear that. Um, the Blackhawk story that just gutted me. And I'm an empath. I, I, I feel such, um, I just feel strongly when people are hurting or suffering or wronged, um, you know, which, which is a painful way to live. I mean, you want to save every child who's abused, every animal who's, who's abused, everyone who's sexually abused. You want to save all these people. And listening to those stories, I was just gutted by a, a hockey team that I thought I liked that I thought, oh, you know, this organization turned it around from, you know, my days of covering dollar bill worths and, and, you know, bad management, everything like that. They got it in the right direction. And then you hear, you know, all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes and you're just so appalled by it. And that's when I really felt like um, talk radio and podcasts and Twitter, things like that really shine because that's when people are able to dig a little deeper and get into some of the bigger issues and um, give people a forum. Um, you know, when, when you have those type of um, bigger stories, you know, anybody can talk about, oh, this person ran a slant route and burned the DB for this many yards and blah, blah, blah. But when you have somebody who can dig into the heart of a bigger matter, like that's where I'm really just so proud to hear so many of my friends in the broadcast industry do such a phenomenal job. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I remember, I, I remember you bringing treats to the score. I remember you, you know, here, <laughs> try this. I remember you making sweets for Doug because Doug was diabetic. Like, I remember all of this stuff. Yeah. Where, where did the baking thing come from? Like, when, when did you know that it was more than just a hobby? So, I loved baking growing up. Um, my mom could tell you stories about when I was in grade school and she would go up to, you know, see if my bedroom was clean and I had sugar molds under my bed what? where I was like hinting sugar and pressing it little Easter molds and stuff and putting it under my bed, which is not a good idea. Um, why I couldn't just put it in the kitchen. I don't know, but my mom could tell you stories that I was, you know, ex- experimenting with baking and sweets and treats way back then. Um, I still remember, you know, wanting to make bonbons when I was like eight years old, I wanted to make fillings for bonbons and things like that. So I always loved that side of it. Um, But it was always a hobby. And 
as I got older and um, had put in my time at the score and was thinking about, you know, shifting directions, I, cooking school just kept coming back to me and saying like, hey, you could do this, give this a try. And um, I always have a lot of respect for people who switch tracks, who are willing to take the leap and say like, I'm comfortable with this, but I'm going to do something I'm not sure I'm going to be good at. Um, I, I always respect the heck out of people when they say that, because I know how challenging it is. I know when I was going to cooking school and working in a kitchen and I was, you know, going from like five in the morning to midnight, you know, it, it was exhausting. And I didn't know if I was going to be a professional pastry chef or not. I knew I could decorate a cake, but I didn't know where that was going to take me. And, um, you know, as I, as I was at the score and making treats for everybody, I loved seeing how people love them. But there were also, you know, the detractors. I remember Steve Rosenblum once telling me no one was going to take me seriously in the press box if I kept acting like a Girl Scout mom. And I was like, ouch, that kind of hurt. Like, I just brought treats because people liked them. Um, because I liked to bake and I couldn't just bake for myself. So I baked for everyone else. Um, you know, as a diabetic, I remember... I brought cookies one day to the score and Dan Bernstein asking me, should you be eating that? <laughs> I thought, well, I'm going to eat too, just because you said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it really, uh, you know, there were people that were like, oh, you can't do sports and, um, and be a baker. Like you, you have to pick one. I thought, but why, why can't I do both? Why can't I, you know, be good at covering baseball and still show up in the press box with cookies? Seem to work um, out for Tony Janetti. Right. And Tony is like one of my heroes. She was one of the nicest women to me when I started in the business. Um, we swapped recipes together. She is an amazing baker. And um, I'm so sad she's retired now because I miss seeing her covering sports. But um, yeah, there were so many women that, you know, were, were nurturing and kind. And there were some women who were not, but Tony was just that motherly type that everyone gravitated towards whether it was at a DePaul game or a baseball game, everybody just wanted to be around her because she was just goodness and light. Um, so Tony always encouraged my baking. She, uh, she actually helped me develop the apple pie recipe that I use to this day. But she, um, yeah, she was one of the ones who could bring bread on a weekend baseball game or something and people didn't mock her for it. So, you know, again, it goes back to the being more thick skinned that it still sticks with me 20 years later that people were telling me, you can't bring stuff to the press box. Well, yes, you can. Just watch me. Um, and, I, and I probably have told you this before, maybe when I sat in on your uh, talk show once, that my goal is to do a sports cooking show. I have, I have worked on this for a long time and it just never got to the actual like getting on air stage. But I think that'd be awesome because that combines a lot of people's love. A lot of people, you know, even guys at the score who are grill masters or whatever, you know, they like their sports, but they also love being in the kitchen. And I think, you know, there's a niche for that. There's, there's an outlet out there somewhere where that's going to work. And I hope I'm the person who can make it happen. I mean, hell, now we actually, we literally have a studio kitchen now, Jules. Yes. Yes. And, um, I think Mitch and I had actually talked about it at one point and I, you know, it didn't really go anywhere, but I just thought how cool it would have been. Like, you know, don't tell Mitch I said this, but I would have done it for free just to see if it worked, just to see if like my concept, you know, was going to be as popular as I thought it was going to be because who the heck wouldn't love to, 
you know, talk sports and cooking in the same show because so many people love both. And, um, you know, one of the things I learned, I, I had shot a pilot for a cooking show years and years ago, and John Paxson actually did the pilot with me. And um, he was great. He was so good on camera. But one of the things I really loved is before we started cooking, we talked sports and food. And, you know, we talked about how uh, teams have personal chefs at their training facilities now and, you know, different dietary restraints and blah, blah, blah. And he told great stories about, you know, Michael Jordan's pregame steak habits and stuff like that. And this goes back to those little niche stories I loved so much. Everybody knew you know, Michael Jordan got cut from the basketball team and blah, blah, blah in high school. Everybody knew those stories, but people didn't know the story about how, you know, they're waiting to leave for the arena and they're waiting on Michael's steak and you know, stuff like that. I <laughs> loved those stories. Ah, That's so great. <laughs> I, it's hilarious. I mean, you know, Michael's pregame routine was having steak and I, you know, I don't, to this day, I should have asked John Paxson why the bus was waiting for Michael because Michael could just take a cab or whatever or limo, but uh, they were waiting on the bus because the restaurant at the hotel was making Michael's steak. And I just thought, what a great story that is. Why don't stories like that get out? Well, because, you know, it, it takes a certain avenue or venue to be able to tell that story. It's, it's not like you're going to tell that in the middle of like, you know, so-and-so's sideline report during the NBA finals. That's, you know, they're not going to squeeze that in. I think that's the type of stuff I would want to watch. And, um, you know, I, I still to this day think it's going to work somewhere, somehow. And, uh, you know, like I said, I hope I'm the one to make it happen. I, I am a little sad that it would have been great to capitalize on it when I still had so many sports connections, mm -hmm. people that would have, you know, jumped at the chance of doing the show because I, you know, I would have just talked them into it and plied them with treats, um, which is what I did for John Paxson and his family. Great. I sent them home with like goodie bags of stuff and his wife emailed me to say how much their sons loved all the treats I sent home. And, um, you know, I just think like stuff like that is fun when you get to see athletes outside of their normal realm, when you get to see them cooking, when you get to see them playing in a band, um, like, isn't it Bronson Arroyo, the one who's like a phenomenal guitarist. And I know Bernie Williams is too, but like when I would see baseball players who could, you know, jam with the band or play the guitar or whatever. Like I loved that because it was a different side of their personality, a different side of their humanity. So, um, yeah, like I said, if, if you put athletes in a kitchen, I will watch it. I will watch them cook, even if they're bad at it, even if they just want to like, you know, make scrambled eggs, I will watch. How competitive is the cooking baking world? You know, what's funny is uh, <laughs> when I left the score, I, I was looking forward to getting a break from the good old boys club. And I jumped in the culinary world where the kitchen is a good old boys club, where many, many kitchens are predominantly male chefs. Um, so I didn't really see that coming. But, um, you know, I don't think it's as cutthroat as, you know, things like Hell's Kitchen like to portray it. Um, you know, good kitchens are ones where people are team players and they help each other out and they, they work together. Um, you know, I really, I can't think of many instances where I've been up for a job where it's been really cutthroat and people have been, you know, clawing at each other to get ahead. I, I really haven't seen as much of that in the culinary world. Um, but I, I will say that I was, um, I was 
trying to get my foot in the door with the gingerbread competition on the Food Network. And I thought I had everything they could have asked for. And the casting director loved me, but I didn't make the cut. And I thought, well, what more do I have to do? And so then I'm watching the show going, I could have done that. I could have been better than that. Like <laughs> I'm critiquing the other bakers because I felt like, you know, I, they were in the spot I wanted to be in. And I felt like I brought more to the table. But instead of, you know, being bitter about it, I just use that as motivation and say, well, next year I'm going to come back even better. And they're going to have to put me on that damn show because what I can do is better than that. So, you know, I don't think it's like, you know, to your face cutthroat culinary um and you know it might be in in like las vegas and in some of the bigger circles but you know in my mind my biggest critic and my biggest competition is always me like i'm always hardest on myself so you know i use that to motivate me and i i use it to make myself better every day like i said earlier food is my heart on a plate so you know if somebody doesn't like a dessert i made you know i i take the constructive criticism but you know, on the side, I'm kind of sniffling a little bit like, why didn't they like it? Um, <laughs> and when you work in a retirement community where they don't have much of a filter, they're very honest with you if they don't like something. I mean, Lawrence, I made a flourless chocolate cake and somehow I, I don't think the woman understood it was supposed to be flourless. Like she was saying it was more like, like the frosting at the bottom of the bowl or something. Like basically it was gooey, but it's a flourless chocolate cake. It's supposed to be gooey. And she said, even a preschooler could have done better. Wow. Okay. You know, I, I was baking pretty young, but as a preschooler, I was not making flourless chocolate cake. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do carry that stuff with me. I, but again, I use it to drive me. I don't, you know, I don't sit there and cry because someone said a preschooler could do better on a cake. But, you know, I, I do take it to heart in a good way I, I say like okay am I doing everything I could do for people to love my desserts and not everyone's gonna love them you know when you're cooking dessert for 300 people you're probably not gonna have a hundred percent approval rating but do I want to have like a 99 percent approval rating yeah I would take that I'd still wonder what's wrong with that other one percent but you know what's something people that don't like chocolate I'm sure <laughs> what's something that you know you do well when it comes to baking like it's something that that you would say is your calling card? So um, in terms of baking, I think my apple pie is, is the best I've ever had. It's got the crumble top, which I love. I love you know, it too. I don't, like, I don't like the rollout crust. I've got like the, you know, press in the pan crust and the crumble top and the apples are chopped instead of sliced. So it's easier to eat them. Um, I love everything about it. It's salty and sweet and tart all rolled into one. Um, but in terms of like, decorating and things with like visual appeal um you know I love doing cakes I love doing cookies I love doing things where you go to drop off a cake and a little kid's like oh my gosh that's my birthday cake like that reaction um I did a wedding cake earlier this year where the bride's theme was like glitz and shiny and lights like that's pretty much what the mother of the bride told me I'm like all right I could work with that I made a light up wedding cake I made a four-tiered wedding cake that had fish bowls in between the tiers, and then I had lights in the fish bowls that were on remote control. So the whole cake lit up and twinkled, and it was the scariest wedding cake I've ever assembled because it was very tall, and I didn't want it to fall in the middle of the ballroom floor. Um, 
but I mean, when people saw that cake, they were just gasping because they're like, oh my gosh, it lights up, it twinkles. And, you know, that's the reaction I wanted. I wanted people to go, I've never seen a wedding cake like that before. So, um, you know, I know like, you know, my style's not necessarily, oh, the type that's going to be on the cover of some food magazine, like, you know, some crazy fondant cake that took 600 hours to do, but it's going to be something where, you know, I have a tweak or a little, um, you know, a little side detail to it that somebody really appreciates. I know I shared my gingerbread village with you. And yes, um, my favorite, I, I was my amazed part, by that. Thank you. It is 75 buildings. It's got two running trains. Um, <laughs> I start working on it before Halloween. It's crazy. And um, my favorite part is, Lawrence, there are so many puns buried in that gingerbread village. Like if you stand there and you read them all, it's awesome. Because, you know, I love bad puns. And is there really even a good pun? They're all bad. But um, this year, I had a whole bunch of new buildings. I had like seven new buildings. And I was adding a football stadium. So there you go. There's the sports and the baking together again. But I'm adding a football stadium. And I was so bummed out because I couldn't think of a name for the stadium. I wanted it to be something like cutesy, kitschy, Christmassy, but sportsy. And I couldn't think of anything. And I'm running through all the current stadia. And they all have corporate names. Yes. So you can't even like come up with anything good because you have to make a play on a corporate name. That's stupid. So I'm, I'm literally like just dragging my butt on getting the stadium done because I can't think of a name for it and it needs a name on the scoreboard and blah, blah, blah. And ironically, one of my delivery guys at work, I enlisted his help. I'm like, Kenny, I can't think of a name for the stadium. So he's like, all right, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to think about it. So he's texting me throughout the day. Like, what about this? What about that? And he came up with Sladium like Santa's sleigh yes. and um, I had already done the field where the end zone said reindeer and snowmen. So I called it reindeer sladium and it worked. And as soon as he suggested that, I'm like, Kenny, that's all I needed to unlock the creativity. Like now I know where I'm going with it. I had like a little uh, gingerbread cookie of a reindeer over the entrance to the stadium. And, and I did like a sports font on the scoreboard. Like I totally knew where I was going to go with it, but when that came together, when he said Sladium, I'm like, that's it. That's what I've been waiting for. And then, of course, after I built it, you know, people start showering me with suggestions like, you should do Polar Bears Stadium and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, it's done. It's done. Don't suggest anymore. <laughs> no, you, you got the but thing I, that you wanted. I, I, exactly. And I love just those little winks, those little touches, you know, where, you know, I do. I put a lot of time into it thinking about. You know, is somebody going to look at this and go, oh, this is really funny. Like, I get where she was going with this. Instead of just, you know, calling it Santa's Workshop or something. Like, they all have cute, quirky, funny names. And um, I did a little quiz this year for the, the members that live at the Garlands. Um, so they could, you know, fill out their 10 questions. They could fill out their answers and put them in a box. And whoever got the most answers right got a prize. And um, one of the questions was, name one of the three snack carts in the village. I had popcorn, I had peanuts, and I had roasted chestnuts. So they just had to name one of the three. And I'm reading the answers the other night, and one woman wrote shrimp. <laughs> and I'm like, shrimp? There's no shrimp in the village? Well, they had filled out the quiz on a night we'd had a party that had food stations. And one of the food stations was shrimp. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it made sense to her. Food station, cart, snack cart, Shrimp. shrimp. Um, so I gave her a prize just for effort because I thought that was adorable. But, um, you know, I, I asked some easy questions and I asked some hard questions because I wanted people to like 
take time and look at it and and appreciate the details. You know, I'm not just slapping frosting and M&Ms on a building. I'm I'm putting detail into it. And you know, the the donut shop has little uh, Fruit Loop donuts in the windows and stuff like that. I mean, there's just there's so much detail to it. I think that's that's the part of my job that I just didn't even realize I would love as much as I do. Just that little attention to detail, that you know, sauce on the plate or garnish or something like that. Creative side of me. Like I didn't get to indulge in that a whole lot in sports, but now I, you know, I can go to town making, you know, cookies and things that are quirky and cute and funny and, you know, people smile. Like, like I said, that appreciation when people tell you like how much they love one of your desserts or, you know, when their kids are excited, when you drop off the cake for their party. I mean, that's, that's so gratifying to me that that makes everything I do worthwhile. You were one of the first people that I had encountered that, I mean, I knew diabetics, but you, those of us that were your producers, we had to kind of know because in case your blood sugar dropped on the air, like we, we always Mm -hmm. had a can of pop or something around. How do you think that that has affected your life overall? You know, I really appreciate that you go back to that and that you guys did have to be that extra line of safety and security. Um, I don't think you were working the day I was doing updates with Jesse and Doug. It was Jesse Rogers and Doug before we're doing like the afternoon show that day. And I was doing updates and the Bears had just uh, announced who their pro bowlers were. And I was in a low sugar attack and I was like in a loop. I could not get past the same sentence. I just kept saying over and over again, Brian Urlacher named to the Pro Bowl team, blah, blah, blah. And I was stuck. It it was like you wanted to like hit the jukebox to keep moving or something. I I couldn't get past the one sentence. And at one point, Jesse turns around and said, you said that already. And I shouted, I know, but I couldn't get out of this low sugar attack on the air. And so I just wrapped it up. I did the weather and the Dow and I, you know, I wrapped up. And in the meantime, Doug Buffon, knowing what was going on, told the producers, go get her a Coke, go get her a Snickers bar. And, you know, sure enough, I got my sugars back up and I felt better. And they brought me back on the air to tell the listeners what had happened because they were all calling because they thought I was drunk. Like the producers were fielding calls that, you know, what's wrong with Julie? Is she drunk? Nope. She's just a diabetic who, you know, let her sugars get too low. Um, but, But it did affect a lot of covering sports. I really appreciated Ron Santo kind of guiding me through some of my early years with diabetes because he had dealt with it on such a grand scale for so long um you know I still remember in 98 Ron Santo telling me they were within five years of a cure and here we are in 2021 with no cure um but Ron had seen me on the field at a Cubs Braves game in Atlanta and he knew I was out of it he just looked at me and knew I was in bad shape and Ron Santo was unwrapping Tootsie Rolls and feeding them to me like here, eat these, eat these until my sugars came back up. And I just thought like, boy, there were so many good people that looked out for me and that caught it when I was, you know, not myself, when I, when I might've not even realized how low I was. I know there were both games I was at where like I was looking for oranges or sweets or something to just get my sugars up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're supposed to be covering a Bulls playoff game and you're thinking like, where's the nearest vending machine in the United Center? Because I needed something. Um, so, you know, there was a huge challenge to that, to always making sure you were eating right and to making sure you didn't get caught without candy or something sweet if you were in the locker room or in an interview situation. Um, 
you know, there, there were a lot of very challenging moments. There was a weekend where I had to do a Sunday morning show and I kind of slept through my alarm and it was, um, hub was doing pro football weekly that Sunday morning and I'm laying in bed listening and I, I could feel like, Oh, I need to be getting up. Why am I not getting up? And I just remember hearing like pro football weekly as I'm laying there thinking I need to get to the station, but my sugars were so low. I could not crawl out of bed. And so I eventually, you know, grabbed some Skittles or something from the nightstand. I, I got myself going, hauled my butt to the station and literally got there. I think I was late. I think Steve Olkin had covered for me for the first half hour or so um, because my sugars were so out of whack and I was not the type to oversleep. I was never late for a show. And that morning, the diabetes just, you know, knocked me on my butt. And thank God I did get up because um, most diabetics fear what they call dead in bed syndrome, that you are going to go to bed and your sugars will drop and you won't wake up. So, you know, I consider myself really blessed that I've avoided some big scares. Um, but people always, you know, think it's hilarious when they say you're a pastry chef and you're diabetic. And it's like, well, you know, it's not like I sit there and eat ice cream all day long. You know, I, I watch my sugars. I take my insulin when I need to. And, you know, I, I don't deprive myself of things. I just try and make smart food choices. But yeah, even in the kitchen, there are days I'm running around trying to get ready for a party or something. And my sous chef will look at me and say, have you eaten today? And I'll, you know, kind of uh, sheepishly hang my head and say, well, um, no, not really. I had a truffle. He's like, would you go eat something? So I, you know, 20 some years later, I've had this disease for 26 years now. And I'm still stubborn and hard headed and, and just kind of a dunce sometimes when it comes to putting myself first and making sure I'm not going to pass out on the floor. You brought up his name. I need a Doug Buffone story. <laughs> I love Doug. Um, I miss him so much. Me and too. I felt so blessed to get to do Sundays. Um, I would be there with Grody doing the around the NFL show and Doug and OB would be getting ready for the post game. And God, there were so many just like good Doug moments. But one of my favorites was when Doug would say to me, you know, I need you to make some of that Polish food for me. You know, those Golopkis. And I'm like, what the heck is a Golopki? <laughs> well, in, in Polish, the food is pronounced Gołumki, but it is spelled Golopki. So it's basically like the, the cabbage stuffed with, um, you know, the ground beef and rice. But Doug was jonesing for some Golopkis. And so there was one Sunday where I brought in Gołumki for... Doug and OB for the post game show. And Doug was like a little kid, like with a pie or something. Like he's sitting there just shoveling it. He was so happy to have his Gawumki in the studio. And it just, like, that's one of my favorite memories of all time of Doug was just like Doug wanting this Polish food and, you know, Swika, you got to make me some. You got to make me some, Swika. And so I brought it in and he and Doug, you know, went to town in between yelling about how bad the bears were. He's just the best, you know, like, it's hard yeah. to it's hard to describe to people where he he didn't have to be nice to any of us. Like this is a guy who played right. next to Dick Buckus, but he 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 very much like took time to get to know you to make it fun to to not be the intimidating like bear linebacker. He he wanted mm -hmm. all of us to kind of share in the the silliness and the joy of it. Yeah. I miss I miss him every day. And and you know you were one of the people he'd be calling little buddy. Yep. Like you were one of the little buddies. Um, 
just yeah that affection he had for everybody I look back I you know I'm a picture taker when it comes to like get-togethers and holiday parties and stuff like that I have so many pictures from my 10 years at the score that I would just love to like put in some sort of collection or something and just share with you guys because there's so many good ones and some of them have Doug in them some of them have Norm in them you know like guys Mm. that you know I, I smile when I see it I'm like oh gosh I loved those guys and then, you know, so many people that are still with us that I smile when I see them in the pictures, like Terry. Um, you know, I have pictures from, gosh, so many score Christmas parties. I have pictures of you and Dan Zampillo together that are hilarious. Um, and, and just a side note, I always loved the Me and Z show. Always. Thank you. And <laughs> I loved that show. And Zampillo hated the song Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. <laughs> yes, he did. He- hated that song and Lawrence I could be like in a grocery store or something and that song comes on and I hear Zampillo in my head making fun of it I hear him singing it in his like mocking voice but I mean this is again like 20 years later and I can still hear the me and Z show making fun of the spin doctors two princes you know I have like so many good memories of just hanging out with you guys you know being at sluggers or you know like I said a score Christmas party or you know somebody's it wasn't a bachelor party. I don't remember whose party it was, but it was, you know, one of the guys from, from our age range. And we were all at Dave and Buster's for something. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Like, you were there. Jay Hood, Spiegel. Like, I, I everybody's Jerry Riles. Everybody's in the pictures. And I'm like, what were we there for? But I felt like it was somebody's, like, bachelor party kind of thing. And, you know, I look back at those pictures, and I just think, like, those were the days I really loved what the score was that it was just a bunch of us like being goofy and pioneering and um you know I like I said I really enjoyed my time as a reporter more than anything because you know I got to be around people I wasn't just you know holed up in the studio and all that but there were just so many good people that I look back and smile or people like you know I still can connect with on Facebook I miss so many of my reporter buddies like when I hear um Zach Zaidman I always wonder how Zach's doing because I don't think Zach's much of a social media person where I can track him down. But like Grody and I will message each other on weekends. You know, he's doing his um, wake and bake show and he'll say something that'll make me laugh and I'll send him a message and he'll message me back. And you know, it's like old times. It's, you know, even now when I get to connect with you, I'm like, oh, Lawrence, like as soon as you asked me if I would come on, like just, you know, happy feelings just I would do anything for Lawrence and I was hoping we were going to be talking Northwestern DePaul basketball today yeah but you guys had COVID there was no game on Saturday yeah it was really disappointing I, and very scary oh gosh yeah I mean you know I don't want to make light of it it is serious um but when I saw it was on the schedule I'm like oh, Northwestern DePaul and both teams are good this could be interesting right and that the the new gym, I don't know if you've been to a game there, but I really love no, what they've uh, done to it. I would love to see it. I've heard such good things. The the word I use to describe it is cozy. Nice. It's got like a in real, an alumni kind of way. Yes, like it's got like a. I went to go see Northwestern play DePaul there a couple years ago, which was maddening mm-hmm. because I want to say DePaul had a twenty point lead at half and ended up losing oh, the game yes. by 20 points or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and like wasn't it like on a last second shot or something? Yeah, I mean they they it went got down to the wire. They got their doors blown off in the second half and and then yeah, yeah, it was really upsetting. 
Um, I was very angry. There are pictures of me being very angry in the crowd <laughs> as all of this stuff is going on. But I, the seats that I had were amazing, and I felt like there wasn't a bad seat there now. Like, it felt mm-hmm. very warm. Like, I, I love Loyola's gym, too. I think that it's got a mm-hmm. real warm quality to it. It's probably about half the capacity of Welsh Ryan mm-hmm. Arena. But I love it. So the, when you feel comfortable, you got to go to a game. If you will take me, I will go. Show right. me the ropes. I would love to see it. I mean, I you... always liked covering your demons. You know that. I mean, there were some goofs there. I I covered some of the crazies. I covered the Pat Kennedy years. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. That team, when you'd have guys like, you know, you'd be there waiting for practice to start, and we're like, when's practice going to start? Oh, well, you know, when the big three show up, it's like, what? <laughs> Wasn't practice supposed to start 20 minutes ago? Yeah. Yeah, well, Lance isn't ready, and neither is Quentin. So there's no right. practice today. And Bobby, Bobby, Lance, and, and uh, Q. Q. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the three of them were just like rock stars there. And, but, I mean, there were some fun teams to cover. I, I liked covering college basketball a lot because every year there'd be some different team in the area that was good. You know, it might be DePaul. It might be Illinois. It, might, it wasn't usually Northwestern, but, you know, it might be Loyola or UIC. But there was always somebody good to cover and somebody fun to watch. Even, um, gosh, even that Northwestern NIT team that played Tommy Kleinschmidt in DePaul. Yep. Like, I was in school then, and I loved that game. That was crazy. Like and now, like Tommy's like one of the best high school coaches in the city. Yes, yes. Like all of it's and, pretty and crazy was, to me. Yeah, and I mean, wasn't he always like Mister like Spitfire, like you know, yes, fire in the passion. Guy? Yeah, fire in the passion <laughs> guy. Loved when we were undergrads together. A guy that loved to have a good time. And uh-huh. and, and now I'm like, look at you with your little suit on. Out here molding the minds of young people. You know, I wish for the life of me I could remember where he's coaching, and I'm I'm really embarrassed that I can't. He's at but Pat he's Baldwin, who no Pat Baldwin, who was the point guard at Northwestern when I was there, is now a coach in Division One, and I'm I'm totally drawing a blank on where he's at. But Pat was such a good guy, and I remember him, you know, kind of coming through the ranks, being on the bench and everything, and and now being a head coach. I uh, I want to say he coaches a Panthers team and I'm just drawing a blank but you know when you see guys like that like you're talking about being an undergrad with Tommy I was an undergrad with Pat and just a great guy just the skills player you know ball handler good shooter like when I see him now tweeting about his his college team doing well or whatever I'm so proud of him Milwaukee I still can't believe like oh. yes 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 you got it you, that's it you hey how did you pulled Panthers like that's pretty good <laughs> I, yeah, I was drawing them. I, see, this is where I started to feel like we're getting old. Like, my brain is not <laughs> as sharp as it used to be. Um, honestly, like, I, I, I can barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday. And then I hear you guys on the air talking. You're like, remember that game 23 years ago where blah, 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 blah. Like, Spiegel pulled one of those today. And I'm like, how the hell did I remember that? Like, I, you know, I remember bits and pieces. But I I am just terrible at the little details. I really am. And I... You know, sometimes I think the diabetes had something to do with it. Like all those low blood sugar attacks, I think they do burn your brain cells a little bit. Um, I'd love to see someone do a study on that. But in all reality, like I, I can remember 
a ballet routine I learned when I was five years old, but I can't remember, you know, why I walked into a room five minutes ago. So yeah, I feel very challenged by, um, by the age we're facing right now. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I feel it's, young at heart. It, it's hard a lot. To to... We've, been on, we've been on the earth a long time. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and, and there's so much stuff that you like remember, but and then like something will just spark it. You know, like you'll have like a, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, and then that leads you down a a memory trail of all sorts of goodness and everything. But I'm so happy that you were available for this. Like this was so fun. This was awesome. I I was happy to catch up with you and to laugh and share stories. And like I said, I am I am game anytime you want to talk. I'm always available for you. And uh, this just made my day. A lot of like you said, something sparks a memory. You sparked a lot of good memories for me today. All right. Well, I, now I got a couple of ideas that I'm going to try to work through because I, I feel like there's definitely a market for you to do something. So I gotta, I gotta start, <laughs> I gotta start thinking about connecting you to some people because I think that's probably like the next thing that I do, like career wise, where I love being talent. But I'm also in a spot where I love putting people together. Like I love, I guess the yes. the word would probably be producing. Like I love producing good content. Yes, and again, you know, it goes back to that um, that interview with Minnie Minosa's son, where you were talking about a friend of yours who was putting you in touch with people at a socks event, and you were saying how good she was at doing it. Yes, yeah, Shakia. What her name is? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you were just saying she's good at connecting people. And some people have such a gift at that. Um, and I, I love seeing those people in action where they just say like, hey, you, you have this in common with this person. You two should talk. And I just love that forged connection. Well, I, I got some ideas that are swirling around my head. So I will be in touch if I can if I can nail down what the ideas are. I've, I will let you know, and maybe we could figure something out to do together because I think that there's definitely something there, and now i got to figure out what I'm that there in. is. All right? So now if we, if we do a project together, I'm going to bring treats. I'm going to bring the Girl Scout mom treats. So, oh. you know, I won't let anybody tell me I can't. All right. No, no one, no one <laughs> is going to tell you that you can't. I am here for you bringing the treats. Jules, thanks for doing this. Um, I will definitely be said. in touch. You have my email, my phone number, my Facebook, my Twitter. You got whatever you need. You holler anytime. I'm yours. All right. You got it. Have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Merry Christmas to you and everybody. Merry Christmas to you too, Jules. Thanks, Lawrence. So, yeah, man, I, I got some ideas. I got I started writing down a list of people that I want to try and connect. Julie too, and I actually think that her idea is brilliant. The idea of, of marrying sports to food, because we do it all the time. Now it's just trying to figure out what type of person, what type of vehicle that can be built. Let me ask you this. If I gave Julie a food podcast would you listen to it if we threw it into house of l would you want it if we did like a playoff or super bowl super bowl podcast on getting the right things would you be interested in something like that hmm 
as I said, my mind is spinning in a bunch of different directions on that. I loved hearing her talk about, you hear how passionate she is about what she does now. Like, being a pastry chef. And I want to say Julie played volleyball maybe in high school. Like, I should have asked, but you can, like, the competitive aspect of her personality, you can hear it in talking about wanting everyone to love the things that you make and looking at, at stuff you see on TV and being like, I can do that. Like, all of that stuff. I love that. I love that, that she's like, yeah, I could, I could totally do that stuff if someone would let me do that stuff. You hear how fired up she gets still about the White Sox, like the things that she truly, truly cares about. And that, I can't wait to see that picture that she got of Tim Anderson. I, I might I might want that picture too. That seems like a perfect thing to hang up on a wall. Some of the really important stuff from talking with Julie that I think young reporters talk show host should go back and re-examine if you're listening to this is her talking about the different people that she talked to in dugouts and in locker rooms that it's not just let me get the quote from the star of the team it's her talking about pitch grips with relievers in dugouts learning some of that stuff Stuff that'll, that it might not be something that you report. Like, and she's discussing, she's saying, yeah, this wasn't stuff that I was going to put in an update or I was going to do in a wrap, but it gives you a higher base of, of general knowledge about the game. It gives you insight into the people that you're covering and what it is that they think is important. That's the type of stuff that it takes reporters a little while to understand. Like, when you first get a gig, your head's swimming because you don't want to miss the big picture. But here's the thing. You're almost never going to miss the big picture. Like, we were recording this after the Bears lose their game on Sunday night, on Monday night football. You know what the big story is. What are those small stories? What what are the things that access will give you insight in, into? And the stuff that Julie's talking about is exactly the way that you go about it. You you build relationships by just being quiet. I get a lot of love for in some cases being a bit of an attack dog in in press conferences. And honestly, like the only time that I really did that is if I felt like someone was lying to me. But it's as valuable. What you don't see or what you didn't see is not me and Lovey Smith in a press conference. It's me talking to players without a microphone in the locker room. There were whole days where I wouldn't record stuff in the locker room. It was great to have a, a partner like Zach in there because we could do all sorts of stuff. Like if I was working on something bigger or he was working on something bigger, then 
the other one would cover. But there are plenty of conversations I had with Devin Hester or Mike Brown or Lance Briggs when they were players that had nothing to do with next week's game. And that's what Julie's talking about, and that's why she was good at her job. She's talking about gaining knowledge inside of the game, learning how those people think about the game, how they interact with each other, how they interact with you, what people are thinking while they're doing their jobs. What's, what's Kevin Tappany thinking when he's on the mound? So I think there's some really valuable advice in there. And I also think that what she had to say about being a diabetic was really raw and honest, and I appreciated her talking about that. And I wasn't producing that show where she she had that moment, but we knew, like the the producers knew, and a lot of them knew like from then on, make sure you got something just so in case her blood sugar drops that she'll be okay. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that she, it's, it is, there is some irony to her being a pastry chef. There's some irony to it. But it's fantastic. So I'm glad that she was available, and I'm glad, I hope that you enjoyed the episode, because I really enjoy talking with Jules and really, like, catching up and, and having some fun and talking about some important stuff. So I thank you for listening. There's going to be a new, I think there's, an, I, I guess, that I let the sports adjacent guys do whatever they want for the most part. I have a couple of hard rules, but other than that, they can do whatever they want. So there'll be a new episode out in the next couple of days. Uh, hopefully you will enjoy that. As Julie said, Merry Christmas to all those who are celebrating. Happy Kwanzaa as well. Happy Hanukkah. Enjoy yourself out here. Be careful. Wear your mask. Masking works. If we learn nothing else, we've learned that masking works. So please wear your mask because I want you here. I want you listening. I want you to be okay. I want you to be able to enjoy yourself and your holiday for sure. And that's it. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I will talk to you next time. I got some more people, man. I got some interviews that are already in the can that you're going to love. I promise you that. I'll talk to you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.